Page fright is recorded on the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. And this, of course, is the only podcast that I host. I have a cold, and I'm battling that. I did not have a cold during the interview, so it's going to sound different when I'm talking to today's guest from right now, so bear with me for this intro. Just wanted to say it's fantastic to be back um, recording these. I sat down with today's guest last week, and the week since has been filled with writing, reading, revisiting things, and it's really been a joy for me. So it's so nice to be able to return here. I hope you're excited as I am to return to this space. It's great to have you back in this space. Um, And I'm so excited to talk to today's guest. And I won't waste a ton of time here, folks, other than to say this is the 80th episode, um, which is a big number of episodes. It's not like a landmark number, but it's a lot. Uh, So I just, you know, I was putting this together and I figured it's worth acknowledging that, hey, that's 80 episodes, that's like 80 hours of material talking about poems, and there wouldn't be these discussions if you weren't listening to them. So thank you for checking this out and giving me a reason to spend 80 hours of my life so far um, talking to people whose work I really admire. Uh, Let's get into today's guest. So today's guest is Tom Cull. Tom Cull is a fantastic poet, and here's the thing, if you live back east, if you live in Ontario, you've probably met someone at the very least who's been influenced by Tom as a writer. Um, Tom is a professor at Western University, which is where I met him, Um, but even though I never took a class with him, we would grab coffee once or twice and and talk about my work, just because I would go to workshops that he was running and, and showed interest in writing. He's just that kind of guy, and um, Tom is such a champion of the poetry community in London, Ontario specifically, um, that I, I just have to mention that, you know, he had a really big impact on me as I started writing. And so I'm really excited to be able to flip the, I guess, narrative a little bit from focusing on my work and talking about how I can improve to talking about the successes and strengths of his work in this interview. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's just really nice. We also haven't spoken in like years. So for me to sit down and talk to Tom again was really refreshing. It was a great way to return to this show. Um, and it meant a lot to be able to have the conversation that we did about what I've been telling people in the past week is like one of my top three poetry books. And I don't say that lightly. Like I genuinely really enjoyed this book. So I hope that you'll enjoy the poems that Tom reads and I hope you'll check it out. It's called Kill Your Starlings. It's out now with Gasparo. Um, it'll be mentioned again when I get to his bio eventually. (laughs) Um, in fact, you know what, let's, let's get to the bio now. Let's talk about Tom. So Tom Cull was born and raised in Huron County in Treaty 29 territory. He currently resides in London, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, Lenape, Attawandaran, and Huron-Wendat peoples. Tom works at the Upper Thames River Conservation Authority and teaches creative writing at Western University. He was the Poet Laureate for the City of London from 2016 to 2018. Tom is the author of two, and I'm adding this in, fantastic books of poems. Kill Your Starlings is the recent one with Gaspero Press. It just came out, I believe, in May. And Bad Animals, which came out with Insomniac Press in 2018. 
His chapbook, What the Badger Said, was published in 2013 by Baseline Press. His work has also appeared in several journals and anthologies, including this magazine, The Rusty Took, Long Con Magazine, The Windsor Review, The New Quarterly, The Dalhousie Review, and Undocumented Great Lakes Poet Laureates on Social Justice, which was published by Michigan State University Press. His work has also been included in group exhibitions through Embassy Cultural House and Gardenship and State. Call is the director of Antler River Rally, a grassroots environmental group he co-founded in 2012 with his partner Miriam Love. ARR works to protect and restore the Deshkan Zibi or Antler River. Folks, I couldn't be more excited to bring you this interview. Here I am chatting with Tom Call. Okay, we are back to recording Page Fright. Um, my guest probably doesn't know that I took a month off of recording this. Um, and Tom, you're my first guest back. Today's guest is Tom Call. Tom, how's it going? Good. I am so happy to be here, Andrew. And it's so nice to chat with you after many years, I feel like, since we chatted last. Yeah, definitely been a while. Um, for listeners, Tom was an instructor at Western while I was going to Western. Still is an instructor at Western, as far as I know. And um, we kind of connected over poetry and, and got to know each other a little bit there. But we haven't spoken in a few years. And Tom's got this killer new book out that we're going to talk about today. I say killer both because it's a great descriptor of this book and because the book is called Kill Your Starlings. It's out now with Gaspro. And uh, we are going to talk all about it. But Tom, before we get started, um, yeah. I'm wondering if we could get you to read something so that our listeners can get acquainted with your work. Sure. Thank you. I will read a poem. Um, I'll read the second poem in the, in the, uh, in the collection. A lot of the poems uh, in this collection um, are inspired by visits to galleries or museums or institutions. I don't know what it is about them, but um, whenever I go there, whenever I go to a museum or a gallery, I, I take a pen and, and a notepad with me. Um, and so this is a poem called Extinction Events. And it was in kind of uh, inspired by a visit to uh, the ROM and um, to see an exhibition there called uh, Great Whales Up Close and Personal. Um, so this is called Extinction Events. In a sea dark basement, blue lit, we sit in Muskoka chairs, look up at massive ribcage carriages, car wash baleen, spinal cord roller coasters. A blue whale rises like an interrupted dream. Great blasts from its blowhole atomize the sea's underbelly. Sperm whales doze vertically like bobbers in a liquid pen. We stand at the end of evolution, walk a series of skeletons, hind quarters slowly slipping into the sea, somewhere a faint drumming. We lay our hands on rubber replica brains as if they are crystal balls. You count remaining right whales. Try to imagine 55 pounds of plastic in your belly. The blow-up orca at the exhibition boutique gasps for air. We need to see mummies. So we race through biodiversity, dinosaurs. I snap the tawny-throated frog mouth, albatross. 
You no longer want your picture taken, but I catch you unguarded, frozen in the shadow of Archelon, who swims through the air like a magician on cables, your eyes fixed on his spiked plastron, formed like a blast radius of bone. I see that same look on your face later at an Ikea cafeteria after we've roamed the store's great gallery of family attitudes. You chew slowly, your tired eyes following shoppers lugging bags to their cars. I tell you that when I die, I want to be shrink-wrapped, buried on a Soderham sectional, surrounded by pots of Swedish meatballs, ligonberry jam, tea lights arranged to cast my shadow into the next world. Amazing. So... We've already gone from Wales to Ikea um, <laughs> within within the first poem. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's I think it's super fitting that you that you picked this one to read, because one of the first questions I wanted to ask you was just to describe the book. And, and I think this is a good representation of it in the sense that so much of this book focuses on the juxtaposition or the meeting point between nature and us as humans. And I think this is a great example of that. So I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to um, how you see those things kind of blending together in this book. Yeah, thanks. I think you're absolutely right. I think that um, the book, I think, has a number of different kind of tributaries um, uh, that kind of, uh, you know, merge uh, or they're at the confluence of the, this book is at the confluence of them. Uh, and the first is the kind of natural world or living world um, uh, in a moment of ecological uh, environmental crisis and injustice. I think that's one of the kind of dominant threads. Um, and then I think the other part is me trying to piece together what it means to be a dad, uh, uh, what it means to be a partner uh, at this time. Um, you know, uh, and the kind of um, cognitive dissonance involved in kind of living in the end times, but going to an Ikea <laughs> to purchase crappy, <laughs> crappy, uh, 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 you know, furniture that, um, that won't last, but also thinking about like, how will we re be remembered as a society, as, you know, a quote unquote civilization? How will we, you know, we were just in, in we were just in a museum. So I was thinking like, what, 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 how we're all, how will our culture be, you know, uh, uh, excavated? Um, so those are some of the ideas. And then I guess I'm thinking, um, and, 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 and the you in that poem is, is my son. Um, and, uh, so, uh, a lot of this poem is thinking about my own history, uh, and, uh, where I grew up and home. And, uh, and so kind of a lot of it has to do with my dad. Uh, and so thinking about my dad while also thinking about being a dad. So all of those, you know, I think all of those threads uh you know of course it's also about what it means to write and poetry but all books are all books of poetry are ultimately about what poetry <laughs> is uh right um so those are kind of all the the different uh tributaries i think um and i guess that's probably why i wanted to put that poem closer to the beginning uh in some ways because i think it kind of introduced uh you know as you pointed out a, a lot of the things that are you know animating the book 
Yeah, and and I I really like uh, what you've mentioned there. I mean, you you've mentioned quite a few of the themes that are going on, but one of them being this uh, I don't know border, I guess, between our living world and an approaching end. And you, as a reader, and and I think uh, as a listener of the show, can interpret what that ending might look like or, or what it might be. But um, one thing that's really influential in this book is is the passing of time. And I, I wonder maybe if this is something that might, this is just me hypothesizing, draw you towards something like a gallery or a museum where we pick items that we invest our effort into preserving over time. Um, but I, I was really interested in the passing of time. You have a poem called The Dates Fell Off in which you yeah. talk about the passing of time in relationship to like the pandemic. Um, so yeah. I wanted to ask how, how you see time and its limited passing sort of nature as, as impacting your poems and, and how you think of it as a writer. Yeah, I, I think time is so interesting and so slippery and the way it works with memory is again, so slippery and interesting. You know, memory is always something more to come than in the past. We're always kind of throwing memories forward uh, in a way, or we're always kind of producing in them in a future after an event um, has already occurred. And and so I, I guess, uh, I, I think that's right. I think I'm, I'm really interested in the passage of time. I think, you know, it's also just like having turned 50, uh, and realizing that, you know, I have five decades under my belt and, you know, how many more do I have? I, I don't have five more. Uh, and so, you know, what do I want to do with them and and how time speeds up as you get older? And, um, you know, these these kinds of things, as, as, as cliche as it sounds, when we confront you know, our mortality. Uh, so yeah, uh, <laughs> that is definitely, you know, and I think, you know, the title, uh, kill your starlings is, is, a, is a kind of play on, on kill your darlings. Um, you know, which is most, most people who, who are writers will know is that kind of like old piece of almost cliche writing advice, which is like when you're editing something, um, you know, you have to take out the parts that are most kind of dear to you because they might be kind of, I don't know, too contrived or um, too trying too hard or overwrought. Um, and so, uh, you know, I guess this is also about how we edit our histories and, um, you know, uh, come to uh, come to understand our, our histories and what we leave in. Um, uh, you know, what we take out and, you know, what we, um, uh, what we try to, um, hide or, or, or what we try to repress. Um, and I think time, time also works, uh, uh, intersects with those ideas as well. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by, uh, you know, the rhetoric of temporality, um, how we understand time. Um, and, um, and so that's going on in this book. You got it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, I don't have answers to it, but gosh, uh, it does. Um, uh, time is not this kind of, you know, as, as everyone has noted, this kind of linear thing that just kind of ticks away in one direction. It, mm -hmm. uh, it has these odd uh, loops and um, it has these kinds of intersections and it has these collapses and wormholes. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to kind of get at, uh, both in terms of like my own personal history, but also kind of collective histories, like the 
history of Canada, for example, or the history of like the township that I grew up in and what were the stories mm -hmm. that we learned and what were the stories that we didn't learn and those kinds of, uh, uh, you know, and uh, it, within the context of, you know, uh, the colonial project of constructing a Canada and a Canadian uh, citizen and, and how unproblematically kind of that was delivered to us as for me anyway, as a kid growing up. So all of these things, um, yeah, uh, I think I'm saying this too much, uh, kind of like <laughs> our threads. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I totally get what you are saying. And honestly, I was asking that question less for an answer and more to just hear what you think about the role of time in your book. So I think we address that, which is fantastic. Um, I do have a question for you here. And this is the, the part of the show where I take a step back and I'm not going to ask a question. My question for you is from my last episode's guest. So, Tom, Jen yeah. Curran is wondering, what do you think your poetry specifically or poetry in general needs the most right now? Oh, what a great question. That's, that's a great question. What does it need most right now? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 because, I mean, I think it's a good question because I feel like those of us in, um, you know, listeners who are out there who are writers as well, I mean, let's be honest, most of us are, are, are also not also poets, but we're the audience for poetry. We're a small community, right? And we are, I don't, I, I mean, Andrew, you know, um, you know, London, Ontario, because you were here. And I think you got a sense of like how tightly knit the community was and yeah. um, how diverse it was and also how small it was. And I think there was a great, I think that was great in some ways. We were too small to get, um, to get precious about certain kind of cliques or camps. Um, <laughs> uh, and, but at the same time, I do see sometimes, uh, I think in, in, in can lit, you know, uh, we're plagued by, um, uh, sometimes internal fighting, um, and, um, um, I don't know, some, 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 some unpleasantness. And so I think that, uh, I think that what poetry now needs more than ever is, you know, internally, I think we all need, uh, uh, you know, to m come more from that place of, you know, empathy uh, and kindness um, and sharing and community. Um, and, you know, that's internally. Externally, I think we need more funding. And I think we need more, our, I think we need our, our levels of governments to devote uh, uh, more funding to the arts. I think that's what poetry needs. We need more avenues. Uh, uh, we need greater reach to audiences. Um, I think that we do have a role. You know, I was poet laureate for the city of London for a couple of years, and I was able to see, um, you know, how that role uh, could help um, galvanize the artistic community. Uh, provide opportunities, uh, you know, for for uh, for young artists and emerging artists and 
and, and non-emerging artists, established artists to kind of come together. And that was a position that was funded through the London Arts Council. So I think that those uh, arts councils are really important. I think uh, those kinds of um, uh, funding opportunities uh, are needed. And I think, um, you know, I'm really getting warmed up on this question now, Andrew. <laughs> I, I think we need more good mentoring um, I think that that's one of the parts that um, uh, I don't think that there's a kind of lack of it in some ways, but I think that like one of the things that I enjoy the most about my my job is teaching. Uh, and I think that if I've done it right, uh, there'll be someone who will go through my class and not leave it, um, you know, with that uh, spark of creativity snuffed out. Um, that's that's mm -hmm. the only thing I really want to do is to kind of like fan it in some ways, provide opportunities. I hate the whole marking part of it and giving grades. That's, I, I really don't like that part more for me. It's just like the, those one-on-one -on -one kind of, you know, uh, or, or group actual, uh, you know, a moments where someone can find their voice or experiment. Um, and I wish there was more of that uh, as well, uh, outside of uh, both inside uh, universities and outside of, of universities, ways that we kind of like fostered the poetry in everyone rather than just like, oh, we're just one community and we're poets and we're looking for an audience. But, um, you know, again, thinking of that model that, you know, po po poets are, 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 are poets audience. Um, let's, that's one way of building the audience is, is building the number of poets that are out there. So I think that that would be great too, is finding ways to reach folks that don't have access to uh, maybe universities or other avenues and providing those avenues. So I'll stop there. That's, that's, that's some, <laughs> that's some things. I like that answer better than like, we have to stop the infighting, which is like, <laughs> oh, I don't know whether, whether that's true or not, but yeah, sometimes I just see some kind of nasty snark that happens in our community and it, and it makes me tired. Totally. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. Um, but let's let's you know what you said, let's stop. But let's continue with the idea of mentorship here for a second, because okay. I yeah, I, I think that's such a positive point to raise. And I and I think it's something that when I think of you, OK, as as the person I am who has the relationship to you that I do, um, it's it's largely as somebody who was an, an early influence for me and somebody who opened a door to writing and, and said, no, you can actually do this if you want to. Um, mm. Which, by the way, I probably had no right to do at that point because I was not good at writing. Uh, and, I, and not to say that I am now, but I remember meeting with you for coffees and being so scared about like going over some poems together and things like that. And I look back now and I'm like, yeah, they probably weren't great poems, but the fact that you sat down with me meant the world to me. And, and I think that's something that's so important is that we need people who are willing to do that, like sit down with people who are early in their writing careers or who maybe aren't early, but need the audience and need the help um, or just the encouragement, I suppose, is what I'm getting at. So all of this to say, I, I mean, you mentioned you were also Poet Laureate of London. And I know in London, there are many people who have similar stories to mine where you were one of the first people to read their work. And, and that means the world to people like me. So all of this leading to a question, which is, how do we build more community in, in poetry? And I mean, you, you mentioned that we are largely each other's audiences, and that's totally the case. Um, but yeah, how, how do we expand the, the community a little bit? And, and how do we encourage more people to get into writing? Yeah, that's a, that's that's a good question. I mean, I think we can do it with I think we can do it by changing uh, creative writing pedagogy. 
um, mm. you know, a little bit so that we're not, we're doing, you know, less gatekeeping, less marking and more, like you said, just sitting down with people and kind of um, identifying their, you know, like um, hearing them out and realizing, Hey, like this is, this is, we're all on a, we're all on a journey to get our, uh, to, to get, to make our work better. Um, and that, you know, uh, at whatever level we're at, we always need help and we need, I mean, I really still kind of like, I, 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 I still feel that, um, uh, uh, you know, I'm on that very much on that journey too. And I think that like, I think that's so hard in publishing. I think it's so hard in, in Canadian poetry, probably poetry in general of getting those publications. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you, you, we, we, we get so many, um, um, we get so many, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, uh, not refusals. Well, anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> what's the word, Andrew, when we submit and we are declined? Yeah. We are rejected. Yes. We're rejected. Yeah, 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 yeah. I blocked that word out of my mind. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, we get so many rejections um, and it can be so disheartening. And I feel like, um, so how do we do it? I think smaller communities, I think that, uh, it's it's helpful. Like again, in London, um, uh, I feel like the community here is small enough that like everyone goes to all the same events and whether you've got four books or, uh, whether you're just getting your first publication, we're all in the same room We're all, we're sitting around the same table. And, uh, I think that that's really, uh, I think that that's really helpful. I think that's what, you know, what taught me that was like coming to London and being part of Poetry London and, uh, now Antler, uh, River Poetry and, you know, a, a reading series that was really fantastic for, you know, uh, bringing uh, Canadian poets to London, but then also providing opportunities afterwards, whether it was like over dinner or at a bar to sit down and have chats and to really like talk to these people who are really advanced in their careers and kind of like, and, 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 and for them to kind of share, um, uh, so, uh, so that's, so that's really good. I, I think a part of it. Um, and then I think that it's like also, um, I, I give this piece of advice some, because I, I try to take this piece of advice is when I'm not feeling very good about where I'm at with my own poetry, I try to, I try to think about who is, who's coming up behind me who's emerging, who is having a harder time? Like, doesn't like, I, I, I just published uh, uh, my second book. So I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky to, to, to have those up op that opportunity. So who are the, who are the ones that are, 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 would still love to have a book, you know, or still would love to have a chap, a chat book or a publication and try to kind of, um, instead of like focus on woe is me, uh, to try and kind of like turn around and say, uh, you know, turn that, uh, turn that around and say, how can I help somebody? Um, and I think that if we all kind of, you know, you know, um, try to pull each other up, I think that's the best way is, is, is to, again, to come back to a smaller community. It really is important that everyone kind of supports each other. Um, and uh, I think that that's, that's one, that's one. And I, but I also have to say, um, Andrew, when you first started writing, like, uh, what I, what I, what, or when you, you were first starting writing here in London, um, the thing that you had was a desire to write and you were interested. And those were the things that I had too. Right. And, and, <laughs> and, and I was figuring out who I was as a creative writing professor because I was kind of thrown into that job, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, I gotta say, uh, 
you know, I'm sitting here, you can't see me, uh, but I'm holding Do Not Discard Ashes by Andrew French. No way. Which I reread re last night. And I, I am nowhere to lie. Some of these poems, I, uh, you know, I found myself really moved by and, <laughs> and, 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 and so many intersections and interesting kind of resonances with, um, kill your starlings. Um, yes. and so, you know, I, I, and so it's, 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 it's just, yeah, I read it. I read it when it first came out. Cause this is your first chat book. You have a follow-up one, but I went back to this one because, uh, your publisher lives around the corner from me <laughs> as well. And I was chatting with him and I was like, Oh, I gotta get that. I gotta, I gotta find that in in my house. And it's just this beautiful little chapbook. And so I just want to say, like, holy crap! Like that's pretty cool, you know. <laughs> All these years later, you're doing this podcast, and you've got some books to your name and uh, and publications. And like, I don't know. I feel like this conversation that we're having right now. If there was more of those conversations, uh, man, we would be in a good place. And I know that sounds a little self-aggrandizing on my side. I don't mean it that way. I just think that um, uh, I'm just thrilled. I'm just thrilled, and uh, uh, yeah, to 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 talk to you. Uh, having, you know, I spent. The, I I that's the thing I love about a chat book, right? Is that you can kind of <laughs> you can get through it, right? In in a, yeah. in, a in a small small amount of time, and it can really. Um, like falling for fish, man. It killed me, you know. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's just so. Um, and oh, and, and I just because I know this isn't about. I know I'm, I'm shifting this the subject here, um, but the King of Pacific City also just mm. uh, made me cry. I mean, oh. get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just uh, yeah. It's 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 fun. It's fun to have these conversations, and I think that in a roundabout way is more of what you're doing with these like podcasts and reaching out to people and having these conversations, it creates these uh, networks. And I think when we have those networks, we're strong. And I think it, uh, it, it, and then we just have to say, okay, who's, who now um, uh, is wants into that network and let's, let's, let's foster that interest um, because maybe not, maybe it's not quite there yet, but in a couple of years from now, there's a book. And that's how I got my first book is I kind of, you know, uh, uh, is, that's, is I kind of was able to kind of hook into um, a community that would have me. And, and, and having lived in Toronto when I was doing my, my, uh, my doctorate, um, I didn't, uh, there was lots of nice people and lots of nice poet, po poets there and friendly people, but it just, I don't know, for some reason, London just felt like it was, um, uh, it was a different kettle of fish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to totally. And uh, it is, by the way, one of the coolest things ever to hear you <laughs> mention poem titles that I wrote. That's so cool. Um, I I am thrilled that you that you've read the chapbook and and visited it again. Um, I have a bunch of questions um, yeah. based on that. Um, but before we get to them, this is the part of the show where I take a break in the middle and I ask you to read another poem for us. Awesome. Well, um, I'm going to read um, inspired by, I'm going to read after the diagnosis, which is a pet poem Perfect. Um, inspired by uh, your uh, chat book um, and the poem I just mentioned. Um, King Rupert, right? In memory of King Rupert? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, after the, after the diagnosis, 
so during the pandemic, just a little context, um, we got a uh, rescue dog. Um, uh, uh, and then we got a second one. <laughs> um, and um, this one is about Quinn, our first. After the diagnosis, you climb into my lap, warmed by patio stones, warmed by melting March sun. Together, we watch birds at the feeder, dark-eyed juncos, rusty house finches, nut hatches upside down, fire truck cardinals the chickadee dee. A gray squirrel chirps us from the fence. Your caramel mane clutched in my hand, your nose wet and cold, a dark dabber pressed into my cheek. Your nose cocked at an angle, siphoning data from the air. Charcoal fires, a family of skunks zonked out under the neighbor's porch. For weeks now, your nose bleeding all over sheets we've thrown on the furniture. Your bed stamped with red rosettes fading to rust. You lick my nose. We let the seasons pass through us, pile up around us until we are full and tired. The compost calls and you go, stopping by the feeder to munch sunflower seed husks. Always a scavenger, from scrappy Texas streets to this backyard where the mulberry branches reach down to you and look, they're budding. Roots fan out beneath your spotted paws, mycelium highways, soil and shade, an alchemy turned over with each shovelful. Blisters that rise and break, mulberry stains on garden stones. Oh, I am beyond thrilled that you read this poem for this podcast today. Um, I, I've gotten into the habit as an interviewer, I suppose, of marking one or two poems from each book that if the poet asks, which sometimes they do, I can say, yeah, you should read this one because it's my favorite one from the book. And you you nailed it. You picked it out. This is one of my favorites from the book. I'm so excited that you read it. Um, you you talked about your reaction to my dog poem. It was very yes. similar for me reading this. I mean, um, just just incredible. And I, I hope the listener got out of that what I did. I, I really love that poem. So thank you for reading that. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and so, okay. So I have a question for you that I that I wrote earlier. And I, I still want to ask it, but I have to say, because we've already jumped around a lot. We've gone, let's let's recount here, um, whales to Ikea to dogs to compost, right? We're all yeah. over the place. Um, so yeah. Yeah. just going going off the top of my head, we, we've got all sorts of stuff in this book. We go um, like student housing in Brofdale, London, I think yeah. is, is in here. Uh, we've got... Um, the first dog in space, um, yeah. a, a yes. muddy typewriter writing its own letters. Um, yes. So all these things. Um, I, I have to ask, because we're all over the place in this book, how do you get the inspiration for these things? And like, where do you look for inspiration as a writer? Yeah, um, yeah, I look, um, I look uh, under my feet, I think, is uh, most of these poems are very much... Um, grounded in specific place and time. Um, uh, and so um, that's, that's, that's the first answer. The second answer, I mean, one of the things that I didn't talk about um, as, as one of the kind of, you know, um, tributaries of this book is, 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 is the river work um, that I do here in London. Uh, my partner Miriam Love and I started a river cleanup group 12 years ago. Um, we, 
wanted to just, you know, haul garbage out of the river and, um, we wanted to, um, yeah, just, just to improve the overall health of the river, learn more about the river. Um, we were, had just both moved here. And so we were kind of, um, finding our way through the city. And, um, I grew up on a river, a very, a very clean river. And, um, I think I have that blueprint in my mind, uh, to kind of find the, uh, the waterways whenever I, I end up in a new place. And so this river, um, Dashkan Zibi or Antler River, um, you know, later the colonial name being the Thames River, um, uh, has made a huge impression on me. And I think that, uh, my poetry comes out of, um, yeah, is, uh, I can't distinguish it between the kind of, um, the river work that we do. It's grown from just a group that picks up garbage to uh, a group that really, um, we still do that. We just did a cleanup last weekend. We do them every month. Sometimes now we're doing them two to three times a month, um, because there's, there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of need in the city for that. And then there's a lot of interest. Um, and, um, so that's a really important part. I would say that like poetry and teaching creative writing and um, the poetry community here and um, uh, my family and then also the river work that we do and um, uh, are all, um, you know, all feed into um, uh, into these poems, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll feed them and are fed by these poems at the same time, you know? And so, um, that's, that's where I find them is, is just in the everyday. Um, usually it's, um, I, I literally come up with them when I'm walking. That's, um, the time that I, uh, for some reason, I, I really like walking. Um, and it's a meditative time and it's, um, and it's a time where you're kind of like mind kind of clears and goes into a bit of a flow state. And then when I'm in that state, that's when a line will kind of bubble up. Um, and, um, and then I, you know, hang on to that line and if I can get it down, uh, then I can build a poem around it. Um, so that's where they come from. Uh, and, um, sometimes they don't come for a long time. Um, and then sometimes, you know, you'll go through as you must feel the same way. I, well, you can tell me uh, how it works for you, but like sometimes there's a bit of a drought. Um, but then all of a sudden the next week you've written like three poems in one week. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, that's, that's where they come for me. They're very, very London centered. They're very, um, uh, and they, they, they take place on this territory and then also on, uh, the imagined and real space that I grew up in. That's the, that's the other place. Um, so very much they come out of, uh, place and out of the, the conflict and contradictions of that word home. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So this is a really, Fantastic answer. It leads me. Well, I could go. I could go many directions with this, but I. I think the one that I have to selfishly go, is into um, the idea. I, I mean, you mentioned the idea of home there. I. I think yeah. it. What interests me so much about um, this book is not just the wide range of topics, but the overlap. I think between the topics you seem to be interested in in this book and the ones that I'm always interested in. Um, so, so one of those really was family and, and family poems. And, um, you mentioned home there and, and interpretations of that word vary from person to person, obviously, but, um, a big part of that for, for me anyway, has been family. And, 
Um, one particular part of the book that that struck me was the longer poem about your father, yeah. um, which which I wanted to just ask a little bit about. I mean, it is um, in, an elegy, right? And and um, these these are often difficult to write. And and the issue I've run into with elegies before um, has been like trying to find a way to get a stranger to understand your relationship to another stranger, which, which is yeah. really difficult. But I, I got to say by the end of this poem and it, it spans a couple pages. So like you got the time there to, to really get into it and, and you do, but by the end of this poem, I mean, I, I was really feeling a lot as a reader and, and to me, that's a, what makes a successful poem and B what made this stand out so much to me as, as one that, um, was exceptional from the book. And so I just, I had to ask about this poem, um, not just the poem, but also elegies in general, like what, what do you look for when you're reading or writing one? And um, how, how did this poem kind of come about? Yeah, well, thank you. And, and yeah, it's a good, it's, it's, this is a, it's a big poem. Uh, it's the bigger, it's the biggest one in the book. It's kind of a long poem. I read it at the opening. Um, and I say, I told people that I was going to read it and that it was going to take me about 10 minutes. I like, sometimes I, when I'm at a reading, I like to know like, how many poems am I here for? I uh, like how many more are coming? How long are they going to be? I think it's sometimes yeah. nice uh, to do that for an audience. Um, because, you know, um, uh, I think poetry demands a certain kind of ear and, um, it's, and, and it's, and, um, uh, and it, and it's work to listen to poetry. It's a real gift, uh, to listen to poetry. Um, I think for the, for, for, for an audience to come and, and, and pay attention to a poem in the way that it needs. So I, I, yeah, so I, 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 um, I read this, uh, poem. I, I also wanted to read it because my mom was there and I was reading to the hometown crowd a little bit. So some of them, a lot of them knew, a lot of the people in the audience knew me personally. Um, and so I, and, you know, would have that kind of different investment. And I didn't know whether I would ever read this poem, say, if I took it on the road, um, just because it also, you know, takes a long time to read, right? And if you're, if someone says, you know, you read for 15 minutes, that's a, that's a, that's a lot to, to invest um, <laughs> Uh, in, 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 but you know, one of the things I liked was that um, a, a number of people that I didn't know remarked about this poem and said, you know, gosh, I, I really, um, I need to write something about my own mom or I need to write something about my own dad um, because they were real characters, you know, and, and, and uh, I loved that because I felt like, gosh, is, isn't that great if you're, if a poem can, excite you about writing a poem <laughs> yeah and i don't know if you've ever felt this way but sometimes when i'm at a reading and i'm completely wrapped by a reader and they're reading something i almost lose track of what they're reading because i'm co-composing something at the mm. same time that i'm hearing them read it's just exciting to hear like it's just the word combinations and the ideas that just like are reaching into your brain and starting to kind of stir that pot a little bit. And so you're kind of also, um, uh, you know, uh, part of your brain is listening and part of your brain is also kind of like, you know, building something of your own, which I think is like really exciting about, um, about what poetry and what art can do, right? When you feel excited uh, in that way. Um, and, and, and I, you know, my dad died when I was uh, 24. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm just now, uh, just has turned 50. 
um, and I didn't know how to write about him for such a long, long, long time. Um, I avoided writing about him because he had such a big influence on me. He's still like, I, I mean, he was just, he was just a, a kind of uh, the center of our family. He was so important in so many ways. Um, he was a great dad. Like he just was. And, and a really interesting human with an inc incredibly interesting past. And he had all these challenges that he had kind of surmounted. And sometimes, he, you know, and, and for me, it was like, how do I write him without like turning him in this mythic person? I also want to kind of like get some of his um, flaws because we all have flaws. Um, and I didn't know how to. And so I just thought like, just start and write a line and don't worry about what this is going to be and don't craft it into a poem and just start writing lines of who, who he was. And so it almost like a catalog. Um, this is, this is how this poem came out. So I just started writing these lines and, 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 and of all the poems in the book, this one, you know, cause some of the poems have gone through, like I have a writing group and, you know, they, they've gone through, you know, that writing, that, that editing stage where it goes through, you know, two or three people giving feedback and then maybe bringing it back to that group. And then, you know, then when I was working with Andrew um, Steves, the, the editor of, of, of Gaspero, you know, we had a couple of back and forth. So a lot of the poems have, have seen 20 to 20, you know, 10 to 20 edits. This one has seen like maybe two. Um, it, <laughs> It basically hasn't changed much at all since I wrote it. Um, and so it, it, it really began as like, just get it all down and then worry about making the poem later. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's, and, and then, you know, ironically, it, it was the poem that I didn't, uh, I thought it was just kind of like, like uh, making the block, uh, you know, the block of, of marble that then I would carve the poem uh, from, but it ended up just being the poem and, and I, and I left it being kind of like, um, unlike the other ones, which are, I try for concision and more kind of like imp crisp images. Um, it's not that these don't have images, but it's more, it's, you know, uh, you know, someone at the reading said like, you know, that's not really even a poem, is it? It's like a piece of prose. Um, so, um, and, you know, I don't know about that, uh, but, um, uh, I just let it, I just let it go and I let myself ramble a bit and I let some repetition um, creep in. And then it just, every editor that I sent it to, like every, like even my reading group, I brought it and they were like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, just, <laughs> I think it's just leave it, you know? And so that's kind of how it, it kind of, it, it kind of crept into the book. Uh, and, 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 um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I look for uh, when I'm reading poems like this or elegies, look, look for something that gives me it's like when you it's like eulogies, like you, you go to a funeral and, and, and you, you want to hear like about the person, like, what are the stories? What are the nitty gritty? And it's in those details, I think, that then you start thinking about the, your your own, you, you, you know, your people in your own life. Like there's that idea, right. When you're, when you're emerging writer that you want to stay away from the details because you want to let the reader insert themselves into the poem. And in fact, it's quite the opposite. It's, it's, it's the details, right. It's in the details, the, the unique 
aspects of someone's life that you'll that, that you'll recognize the uniqueness and the unique aspects of someone else's life that that, that you know right um and so um yeah that's just a big jumble of an answer andrew but <laughs> Uh, that's kind of that's kind of how I approach this and 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 uh, I, I approach this poem. I remember Fred Waugh, uh, reading Fred Waugh, and I can't remember what book, but his dad died when he was younger, and he said that he had tried to write something about him, and that like ten years later it just poured out of him. Uh, mm. And I remembered that, and I've thought about that, and I thought, you know, it will come when it it will, it will come when it comes. And for me, it was more like twenty years later. Uh, and I still think I have more to write about him, but at least I felt like I wanted to just get down something that could, um, uh, you know, uh, bring him to life in a way um, that he is alive in my own mind and in my own imagination and, and, and in myself as a person. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love being able to hear kind of the behind the scenes and how that poem came to be. Um, it just, it, it was a really st a standout poem for me from from this book. So um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I guess, you know, we're, we're kind of approaching the end of our, our time. So I have two things I need from you. Um, yes. The first one is a question from you for my next episode's guest. Now, I don't know who it's going to be yet, but pretty strong chance we've done 80 of these things now. They've all been Canadian poets. So you can use that as your criteria. Yes, Tom, do you yeah. have a question for a, for a uh, Canadian poet? Yeah, I had two and I'm not, um, I, I'm not sure which one to go with. Um, but um, I guess the question I have is, um, what, what, um, how did I phrase it in my mind, Andrew? I wrote it down and then I didn't bring it upstairs in me, but it's like, what, are, <laughs> what, what is, um, does the poem have a responsibility outside of itself? Does a poem have, to what does a poem have a responsibility to? Does a poem have a responsibility kind of like beyond itself to something else? And what is that responsibility? That's my question. Okay. Uh, Tom, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to this show before, but I do a mean thing where I turn the question around. Um, so I'm, I'm going to ask you, uh, does, <laughs> does, does the poem have a responsibility outside of itself? And, and if so, what is that responsibility? Yeah. yeah, good, good. Well, now I wish I had asked the second question, which was about like the role of humor in poetry, because then I could <laughs> you kind of like pat university answer. I, and to be honest, I asked that question because I don't know. Mm. Um, you know, we live in this time where I think that, um, you know, uh, the history of art, uh, you know, has struggled with the question of like, you know, um, you know, art, you know, is, 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 it can art be for art's sake? Should it be kind of like, um, you know, part of the revolution? Should it be like a tool of the revolution? Or should it be able to exist completely onto itself and be useless in that way that is so important? Um, uh, its utility is in its kind of uselessness, that it can't just be kind of like turned into something, right? That it can't just be turned into a tool um, that, 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 you know, is then kind of like a tool or a weapon or something that we have to let art just 
be, um, you know, uh, let art exist for its own sake? And probably the answer is both. I don't know. Um, uh, um, but I think that now in the midst of this kind of like context of this world that we live in, where we have these kind of like real wrestling um, with, uh, for example, with ecocide, rising temperatures and, um, and, and, and collapsing habitats uh, overlaid with like uh, contending finally with like ecological injustice and uh, environmental racism and racism full spot, you know, uh, you know, full on. Um, and then also kind of dealing with um, uh, thinking about colonialism and, uh, you know, uh, the myths that Canada has told itself um, uh, in, uh, to cover up um, uh, a genocide. Um, and, um, you know, Me Too movements and, um, and uh, all the kind of social movements that we're seeing come to the fore. And, you know, us, you know I think that that has changed profoundly you know, what has been asked of art to do and what art, uh, uh, and, um, and so, you know, art is doing all of these things. I mean, I guess I, I'm interested myself in like the, um, the way that art and activism go together. I think that like in a time where more than ever we need creativity and we need creative answers and creative thinking, uh, and we need to unthink things that that's where that's that's creativity's wheelhouse. And so I think that's one of the responsibilities of the poem uh, of the artist of the artwork is to kind of like lend in reimagining a new world. Oh, my gosh, that sounds so, you know, cliche. Right. But I, <laughs> but I do believe it. Right. I do believe mm -hmm. it to a certain extent. But then I also think that like poem, poetry and art should also be allowed to be useless and beyond what we understand it could be doing um, because that's also something because it also has to be kind of cleaving into meaning and undoing meaning and existing beyond what we can grasp uh, and 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 um, uh, uh, yeah spinning out there um, uh, beyond us in some ways um, and so uh, yeah I sometimes feel like you know um, for example, like, you know, poetry about revolution has to be revolution itself. Like I sometimes think we need to be in the streets more. We need to be, artists need to be doing these things. And, and but then I, as soon as I start kind of thinking about that, I feel like this is too um, prescriptive, proscriptive, too, um, uh, uh, like, like I have the answers. And so I think uh, it has, um, I think it has responsibilities uh, beyond itself, right? Because it's 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 within a, a, a political historical context uh, that needs it to do certain things and needs it to not do certain things. But then I also think it has a responsibility to maybe to itself to just be um, uh, uh, to just be bound up with within itself and 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 trying to trying to just um, um, uh, uh, be a distillation of this kind of creativity and not worried about those like 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 it having to go and punch a clock somewhere specific <laughs> yeah so okay so between you and i today i think tom we've we've asked with a capital b the big questions right. um <laughs> uh yeah. and and i'm very happy that we have because it, it's fun to know um when you read a poet's work 
kind of their their larger views and, and the macro scale things that, that they see and pick up on that that come into the micro scale things, which are often individual poems. And so let's let's mirror that movement. And I'm going to ask for one final poem from you before we take off here. OK, one final poem. You know, maybe this would be a good time um, to ask you is, if is there anyone here? Is there any poem? Um, specific poem that uh, uh, that you would like to hear. Um, I have a couple that I could go with, but um, but if you, um, I'd, I'd I'd love to read something that that um, that you think um, uh, should be read. Yeah, um, as I mentioned, I usually I usually flag a couple, and that was not a difficult task this time. Um, I, I had quite a few that I was hoping I could get you to read. So so one of them was um, Leica or Leica, the one about dog in space but the yeah. one i want to ask you to read because we've already done a dog poem today and we yeah. need some variants is um vanitas vanitas oh okay yeah okay yeah i loved this poem this this one listeners you're gonna love it <laughs> we're in for a treat oh thank you okay vanitas um uh and it begins with an epigraph um, from uh, Shirley Thompson, uh, who was the director of uh, the National Gallery of Canada. Um, and she was also my aunt. Um, Vanitas, one never hesitates before a masterpiece, Shirley Thompson. The night the gallery opened, we stole as many champagne glasses as we could hide under our stiff rural duds dipped fist-sized strawberries into pools of chocolate. Aunt Cheryl, herself a masterpiece, robes by Turuki Nakamura, figure eight chignon, chunk earrings, schlepping VIPs through the gallery, trailing assistants and Giorgio of Beverly Hills. The walls were empty, silent, the firestorm coming later when the purchase was announced. Three stripes, 1.8 million. The my five-year-olds could do it. The ah shucks Manitoba MP who could rip one off in five minutes with a couple of cans of paint and a roller. The pop-up roadside replicas, voice of taxpayer. When Cheryl died, we came together to tear her apart, pillaged her down to the last Bertinsky the art of manufacturing a life to be carved up and hauled away. We spread her ashes at the farm in Huron County near the grave of Bruno, the headless dog. Everything now is worth more. My favorite line potentially from the book, the art of manufacturing a life to be carved up and hauled away. How powerful is that? Tom, thank you so much for your time today. I, I love talking about your book. As much as I loved reading it, this is truly a really, really strong collection of poetry. I hope listeners will go out and check it out. Again, it's called Kill Your Starlings. It's out now with Gaspar Press. There's a link to it in the description for this episode. You know the drill. Um, but yeah, Tom, thank you so much for your time. It's so nice to reconnect and, and talk a little bit about your work. Andrew, I loved uh, this conversation. It was so nice. Thank you again for your uh, for your interest in this and for reaching out and for giving it, um, you know, uh, you know, a platform. And it's just so nice to chat with you again. I hope that it doesn't, uh, you know, another whatever eight years don't pass before we <laughs> can do this again. And um, 
yeah, I, 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 um, uh, I want to talk to you more about your own poetry sometime. And so let's, uh, let's, let's uh, flip the script at some point and, and uh, whether it's, we're doing it for some sort of podcast or doing it um, uh, in front of an audience or just, just, just uh, gabbing away about poetry. Um, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's been a real pleasure and let's do it again. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. I, I look forward to keeping in touch. And uh, I'm going to throw it back to myself doing a little outro. Um, but yeah, thanks again to Tom. So there you have it. That was me chatting with Tom Call. Tom, thank you so much for your time. It was so cool to reconnect, to talk about poetry, to talk about this fantastic book that I hope listeners are going to go and check out. Um, it really, really is one of my favorite books of poetry. And I know there's probably like an element of recency bias given that I just read this, but I, I've been revisiting it the past couple weeks and these poems just get better and better. So please check out Kill Your Starlings. It's out now with Gaspero Press. It's fantastic. Um, and, and get to know Tom's work. It, it's really strong. It's really powerful. And not just his poetry, but his community work too is extremely valuable. And I know I'm not the only one who's appreciative of all of the work that he puts in to the writing and, uh, well, communities beyond as well. Um, I don't have too much to add other than I hope it's not going to be as long before our next episode. So I had some crazy stuff going on the past month. Um, personally, it's, it's been a really difficult and, and busy time, but I'm excited to return to this podcast and do it on a monthly basis again. So that's what we're shooting for. I, I should see you in a month. I'm hoping we can get an August episode out. Um, but for now, I'm going to sign off. I'm going to leave it there. I hope that you'll check us out um, on Instagram at PageWritePod, on Twitter um, as well. My name is Andrew French. I'm on Twitter at TheAndrewFrench. And this, of course... This has been Page Fright. Mm-hmm.